he's coming home. He's coming home. He's coming. Bale's coming home. Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockerel. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And we are recording on Thursday evening and hopefully tomorrow, if all the rumours are to be believed, it will be confirmed that Gareth Bale has finally returned to Tottenham Hotspur, although I still can't quite believe it. I'm still worried it's going to fall through. Um, I obviously have a lot to say about this, but to stop this from being just five or ten minutes of me talking nonstop, I'll hand over to you first, Jason, to see if there's anything you have to say about this news, anything you want to ask me about it, and if there's any Arsenal updates that we should be aware of. Well, this is interesting coming from a newsman who's used to organising the news agenda. And of all the things that have happened in the past couple of weeks since we've spoken, this is top of the news agenda. I almost see it as the as the extra bit on the news channel where it's kind of the, and finally, here's the joke of the day. Um, and that would be the bail story. But um, what I meant to say, actually, was that it's really ironic that this weekend is actually starting today, um, are the, is the US Open in the golf. <laughs> and uh, as we know, Gareth Bale is very fond of playing golf um, while his teammate, teammates play football, so it seems. And uh, I just wanted to remind Spurs fans that you, know, you don't get three points for performing a double for performing a birdie or an eagle um, in golf so now those all jokes are all out of the way um i'm going to give you the cynical side and the positive side i'm going to go for the cynical first just to kind of cover my back um keep brand consistent um i see this as a move that is purely to appease the fans um to mask the fact that you know Spurs don't seem to have progressed under Mourinho. It was a terrible start to the season. Uh, players looked disgruntled. Uh, the All or Nothing documentary um, showed some positives. And, you know, we can speak about that because I, I actually enjoyed watching it. Um, but also showed some major cracks in that team structure, um, playing-wise and character-wise. Um and, you know, Bale masks the fact that, you know, you haven't really progressed holistically since he left. I mean, take away that Champions League final, nothing, absolutely nothing, in my opinion. So I saw a brilliant joke earlier saying uh, Daniel Levy's um, trying to sign his 27th replacement in Gareth Bale for Gareth Bale. Um, you know, I remember when all those signings came in, including Eric Lamella, who's good. He's really going to be uh, delighted when he sees Bale come through the door. And that's my concern with this move for for Spurs fans is that, you know, it's going to annoy a lot of people as much probably as it is going to um, invigorate some of the squads. You know, someone like Harry Kane can only be delighted, um, although maybe he's not. He doesn't like the fact that you know Bale was the Harry Kane of his time. And now he's coming in and hoping to take back that limelight. I'm sure Hung and Son will, you know, feel a little bit threatened if he, if he loses his form. Uh, remains to be seen though that Dali Ali's going the other way. Um, but yeah, on the positive side, listen, it's, it's an amazing sign, signing in terms of the romance of it. You know, I'd be, it was like, I think it would be even better than Fabregas of coming back after going to Barcelona. You know, he's done what he needed to do. He's become a, a footballing legend as such and you know going back to where he started and he's he's not old old so he's still got a bit of life in him and and he could produce um something really special for Spurs and 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 I mean I've been banging on about it how Spurs need a special signing if they want to get to that next level um and this probably could be it if he if he's firing all cylinders but you know a lot a lot remains to be seen about his fitness his attitude as well um and I was just thinking about this before I came on on air that it's all very convenient now that no one wants to sign him. He can't get out his contract. Everything's fallen through that now suddenly he's always wanted to come back to Spurs. It's all a bit convenient. Um, but I don't think Spurs fans will care that it even alone with that kind of fee and that kind of money is, is, is a good deal if it works out and a bad deal if it doesn't. And that's with all deals in football, um, at the moment anyway. Um, so I would, I would be, I'm excited for Spurs fans, as my my friends who are Spurs fans, and I can't believe I'm saying 
that sentence. Um, so they can kind of enjoy that moment. Um, play with him on FIFA again, on fantasy football, put the posters back on their walls. Do I think he's what they need? Be all and end all? No. Um, but it can only add some quality to the squad. And I even saw on, on one of the... Um, one of the journalists, top journalists, saying something like they're still looking for a striker. So it's clear that this isn't a replacement or, or what they exactly needed. It's just a special opportunity um, to add a bit of sparkle and, in my opinion, detract from the poor job Mourinho's done. So that's that's my take on it. So some positives and negatives, but I'm sure on your side you'll see a lot of positives. And I can already tell, Michael, you're you're sleeping with you know a frame of Bale celebrating <laughs> his little heart celebration. Um, kind of rubbing the genie's lamp, waiting for, for him to come home. So fire away. I want to hear your monologue. Yeah, well, you mentioned they're playing with him on FIFA again, and, and the, the prospect of a, a Kane, Bale and Son front three seemed like something that would only be possible in FIFA or football manager rather than real life. And when you throw Ledley King and the coaching staff as well, it feels like some sort of Spurs fan fiction that we've got Bale and Kane in the same team with, with Ledley King on the bench. It's kind of a... Tottenham Avengers that's that's going on at the moment but there definitely is a, a heart versus head thing here like you said if you look at it analytically and in, in, in a cold calculated way there are things you could pick out to say well look he's he's getting older now he's had his injuries he, he's not the player that he once was and today I was trying to think how excited would I feel about this transfer if there wasn't that history there if he'd never played for Spurs before and, and this was the first time he was coming to us and I think I'd probably be a little bit more wary of those those caveats that you mentioned. But I think I'd still be excited because he is a superstar. He is a world-class player and someone who I think does still have it in him to win football matches on his own. And you look at that Everton game, which you mentioned, and you know it was quite a, a, an extreme change in emotions to go from what was on Sunday, one of the more disappointing opening day performances and results we've had for quite a long time to then on Tuesday evening when the first stories broke, one of the most exciting transfer evenings we've had, uh, you know, also for a very long time, arguably ever, because this this has been something that's been long awaited, the prospect of Bale coming back. And it was kind of a, a running joke and something that I didn't really think would ever happen. But when you saw that Everton game and saw the impact that James Rodriguez had for Everton, I, I know he didn't score or he didn't uh, directly set up a goal, but, you know, he was someone who was a kind of an outcast at Real Madrid as well. And in a way, he was the difference between the two sides. He gave Everton a, a creativity, a positivity, a new dynamic, an unpredictability. Whereas we looked, as you said, stale, predictable, passive. And after that match, I thought to myself, oh, it won't happen. But we could really do with someone like Bale coming back just to give everyone a bit of a lift and to give us something new going going forwards. Um, I, I shared with you during the week a, a stat about how Deli, Lucas and Son, their goal scoring figures uh, over the past however many games have, have really declined. And you could blame Mourinho for that and his tactical setup. But at the same time, as good as our front four can be on its day with Kane, Deli, Lucas and Son, it's been the same kind of attack at Spurs now for, for quite a while. And in the Everton game, I already got the sense under Mourinho, even though he hasn't been here a year yet, that we were starting to get a bit predictable under him and that, that teams had kind of sussed us out and that we didn't really have anything new to give and as good as Kane and Son and Deli and Lucas have said on their day can be that they're, they're players who Premier League defences are used to now and even though Bale has been in the Premier League before and, and maybe some players in the Premier League today might have come up against him in the Champions League or internationally he, he's been away for so long that he comes in and, and even though he's been in the Premier League before he, he, he he's new he's something different he, he adds that unpredictability to the Spurs attack and with Regulon as well coming in at left back who, who's also a very good signing you know arguably potentially a bigger signing for us in, in the long term, more potential for the future, even with that buyback clause, the two of them together could allow us to play in a whole new way, um, which I think is, is what we're crying out for, because the whole lopsided uh, Davies tucking in as a back three and, and the right back, you know, advancing forwards 4-2-3-1 setup was already starting to look a bit tired against Everton. So I think it does make sense from a footballing perspective, and I think he will give everyone a lift the emotional connection as well. It, it's such a shame that there's no fans there to see it, that it's all going to be behind closed doors. If his whole time at the, at the club, the second time round happens with no fans in the stadium, I think that would be a real shame because it's been so long awaited, as I said, amongst the fans that his first home game back should have been such a huge occasion with such a big atmosphere. And that's not going to happen in quite the same way. But 
I think it will give everyone a lift. Like you said, I think Kane, rather than feeling threatened, will feel happy because, you know, we missed out on Dybala. We didn't sign Bruno Fernandes. There was a sense that we don't make the big superstar signings. We try and make superstars rather than sign superstars. But to now go out and bring Bale back, it, it is a statement of intent. And even though he might not deliver the same goal-scoring figures that he did last time he was here, just his mere presence could have a huge impact on, on the club. We saw Bruno Fernandes at United last season, how transformational he was for their fortunes. And I compare it to when Rafa van der Vaart came from Real Madrid and, and the lift that he gave everyone. So I think just purely for, on, on an emotional perspective, obviously it, it's huge. From a financial perspective, it's a unique set of circumstances that, you know, as you said, only in this scenario could this have happened under this sort of loan agreement with Real Madrid willing to pay 50%. I've heard even up to 60% of his wages. Um, and on a footballing perspective, I think it makes sense as well, because I think we are crying out for that spark of, of inspiration that, that he could bring us. I mean, you're not a Spurs fan if you're not worried that this is all going to go horribly wrong. And the pressure now is on Jose Mourinho to get the best out of this squad. And I think I said this last time we spoke that the pressure is on Jose this season because he doesn't have the excuses. I mean, he, he did rattle off, a fair, rattle off a fair few after the Everton game. Which, you know, to be fair, okay, yeah, preseason hasn't been great because of COVID and all the rest of it. But, you know, that's the same for everyone. But now that he's got Bale back alongside the likes of Kane and Son and he's got all that attacking talent at his disposal, if we don't win matches and don't win matches well, then I think the fans will turn on him very quickly and and there won't be the patience there. So I think the pressure now will be on Jose, even though, as you said, there's reasons to doubt the bail transfer in terms of his age and injuries. And, and there's still other longer term structural internal issues at the club. The, the bail transfer, you know, it changes things in a positive way for us, but potentially in a negative way for Mourinho, if he's not able to now get a tune out of all of these, these players. And the only thing that made me kind of stop in my tra- tracks and panic a bit was when someone said, Oh, I hope this isn't like when uh, United signed Alexis Sanchez, when Mourinho was there, you know, it, it could go one of two ways, but I just think it is a boost for the club. And, you know, you might be right that it does seem a bit of a coincidence that a couple of days after that Everton performance and result that our transfer business ramps up in such a huge way. I mean, a deal like this, I can't believe has only happened in the space of this week. And we know our interest in Bale bringing him back has been long term. So I think this has been probably in the works for a while, but you do get the sense that things have been accelerated slightly after that Everton game. And, and if that is the case, then good that, that we're reacting to that and, and, trying to do something about it but yeah very excited obviously it will be very strange but very very happy to see him back and the pressure's on now Mourinho to, to get the best out of him and, and the rest of the squad because we're all talking about a Bale a Kane Son front three but I mean Jose loves Lucas and plays him every match so but if you play him ahead of either of Kane Bale or Son I don't know and, and then results don't go your way I don't think fans will be very happy but yeah very excited about the possibilities but obviously you're not Spurs if you're not a bit worried as well. I wonder, as an Arsenal fan, you talked about comparing it to maybe Fabregas coming back. Does this make you feel differently about your own transfer business? Because funnily enough, on on the night when it became apparent that the bail deal was actually a possibility was the same evening you finally confirmed Aubameyang's contract, which had been been long in the making. I wonder whether, you know, has this changed your, your feelings about Spurs? I know you said you, you can see positive and negatives, but uh, do you... Do you still think we'll we'll struggle and the same issues are there, or do you, or do you are you now a little bit more worried and kind of looking over your shoulder, as it were, that now Bale's back in town, it means Arsenal uh, have a bit more to worry about? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I can only admire Spurs for going out and 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 being proactive. That that's what you want to see in the transfer market, especially when you're up against it. And I don't know much about this left back. Um, I think it's Regulian, is it? And he. I was looking. He he was at Sevilla, I believe, on loan last year. So he must have won the Europa League. Was he in that in that lineup? He was, yeah. And actually, I I watched um, quite a few Sevilla games in in that you know mini tournament. Watched them against Wolves, against Man United, and in the final as well. And he did look really really good. And I, and Man United were in for him as well, apparently. And I was quite surprised actually that we got we got him because I thought one Madrid would want to keep him. I mean, they do have this buyback clause, which means apparently if he does really well, they can buy him back for an agreed fee. Um, so in a way, it might just end up being a glorified loan, but he does seem an incredibly promising player and arguably younger, a lot more potential. He could end up being a more uh, a more impactful signing potentially than, than Bale. And with him on the left and 
Doherty on on the right, it seems like we might have finally replaced Rose and Walker. It'd be interesting to see. But yeah, Regulon, I think, could end up being just as important, if not more so, than, than Bale. Mm. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because I thought Davies was kind of guaranteed left back um, on point. So it kind of, I think it's good he has that competition because he hasn't for such a long time. You know, Danny Rose hasn't been in that contention. It was clear from all or nothing that he's nowhere near the plans of Spurs and some of the media talk. Um, so it can only be a good, healthy competition. And and yeah, I mean, those are two, on paper, great fullbacks. Doherty looked good the other day. We all know about what the keeper can do in Alderweireld. Um, I'm surprised from an Arsenal perspective not seeing Sanchez play alongside Alderweireld. I would have thought, you know, he's the ready-made centre-back that was kind of being um, nurtured. Um, but yeah, I'm... I, 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 I can't say I'm jealous because I think we've done some really good transfer business. Um, Willian, obviously, I was sceptical. Um, I didn't think he'd start. I think he'd just be that useful face to have around. But he was absolutely fantastic in that first game. He looked the real deal and, and actually like a big signing. And if he was five years younger doing the same thing, everyone would be raving saying, oh, my God, put his uh, price up three million on fantasy football. So I think it's really... Uh, exciting on that front um and of course as you as you said just before the biggest signing of all for us is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for another I believe it's another three years it hasn't been completely uh vocalized it just says long-term deal and that's huge for us because a lot of the fans have been discussing how usually around this time with players like him either Van Persie's and the Nasri's and the Fabregas's they get to this stage and they have this they have to go and um and do this contract negotiation but they just think you know what I haven't heard the ambitions from the club I haven't been given assurances that they're going to invest and they go and it's always been at this kind of stage after kind of you know they've had a original contract they kind of extended a little bit they hit form and they go and this time albeit it was drawn out but it sounds like it was never in doubt in a way and regardless of not getting Champions League football um, or winning the Europa League, you know, it, it seemed that he spoke to Arteta and got the assurances and got that question. Um, would you like to be, um, go to these clubs and win these trophies or would you want a legacy? And I think that's what, that's what um, spun it for him and good for him. I mean, amazing. And he could do it. Looking at his goal scoring record, if he stays fit for another three, four years and doing what he's doing, he could easily... Um, compete for the the top goal scorer of all time and and he was speaking to Ian Wright on his kind of signing video on the pitch about these legends the Burkamps the the Wrights uh, the Omri's and he's like do you want a statue he said to uh, Wright said to him and he said well first it's got to be you um, and secondly he said I don't know I just need to make them proud and I think it's a bit like we had an offline discussion about legends and what's the threshold and and I I don't see him as a legend. I see these players as these modern day legends in this little era with the context. But for me, unless he wins us a league or a European trophy um, in the next three to four years, I don't believe he's a legend. And that that's just my feeling about the standards of Arsenal Football Club and what we've had before and what we need to benchmark against. Um, but nevertheless, Arteta is such a draw, it seems, for these players coming in people signing new contracts, someone like Gabriel, these new signings, young guys who could go to Man United who have these big profile players uh, are believing in the in the story, in the narrative that, that Arteta's speaking about. And for me, that is the most powerful signing of all was, was Mikel Arteta last December, or November rather, and, and bringing, uh, bringing his philosophy through to the club. And, and that win for me the other day you know, a tricky game away against a motivated Fulham side who have just been promoted and a couple of injuries, still still a few people at the club who shouldn't be there. And it went exactly to plan. And it's uh, it's very exciting to be an Arsenal fan. And, you know, I'm excited, again, as I said before, like I'm excited for Spurs fans to have their bail thing. And I, I'm excited to see how it pans out purely on a fantasy football basis if he plays well. Um, and if he plays badly, just for a bit of bit of Spurs Arsenal banter. Um, but I'm very happy with our business. I think there's going to be another another centre mid coming, probably a big one, and maybe quite a few outgoings 
midfield and centre-backs. Probably Nketiah on loan could go based on Lacazette's performance the other day and kind of the, the, the words coming out of the club. Um, and then a goalkeeper coming in. And uh, we can we can talk a little bit more about those transfers um, later. So it's it's all busy, busy. And I'm sure in the next few weeks, we're going to have a lot to talk about because I don't think the squads we see today with both our clubs are going to look quite like they will at the end of the window. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about legends there because I was thinking it's funny how Bale, he won everything there was to win at, at Real Madrid and yet he doesn't seem to be considered a legend there. Yeah, at Spurs where he won nothing, we're, we're having this huge you know rapturous reception of having him back it's, it's strange how that works and I was reading something earlier about Fernando Torres because he's got this documentary out I think on Amazon Prime and how the most successful period of his club career was when he was at Chelsea because he was part of a squad that won the Champions League the FA Cup the Europa League but he said it was probably the, the time when he was at least happy and we know it was seen as a failure of a move so it's interesting making comparison with the Bumyang obviously he's has won a, a trophy at Arsenal, but that idea of do you want to go somewhere and just be a cog in, in the machine and be part of a winning team, but not really feel like the star and not really feel that love or be somewhere where you know you're going to be beloved by the fans and, and you can make a huge impact. And I wonder how much as well that's a motivating factor behind Bale coming back to Spurs. I mean, I always thought that Tottenham fans overrated the extent to which we had a special connection with Gareth Bale. I thought it was quite one-wayed and that, Maybe his connection with the club wasn't as strong as our connection with him, but it does seem like, you know, he, he, I don't think this transfer happens had he not already played for Spurs before and knew the club and knew that he would be somewhere that was going to appreciate him. Um, but yeah, speaking about Arsenal in that opening game against Fulham, I mean, personally, I thought you were very, very, it was very easy start for you. I know they're away and you'd promoted, but Mitrovic barely playing, they look like they're going straight back down. I reckon for Arsenal, the, the real test will be in, in the, uh, well, West Ham at home, you'd think should be an easy three points, but then the fixtures get tougher. It'll be those games against fellow top six clubs where I suppose you, you'll really see how far you've come. You mentioned there the, the goalkeeper situation. We know that you're not the biggest Leno fan. And you, I can't imagine you're happy about getting rid of Martinez. I mean, particularly if he does well at Villa, you and who knows, maybe Leno gets injured again, makes some mistakes. Do you think potentially you've, you really uh, shot yourselves in the foot there. I don't sound it, but I'm furious <laughs> about the Martinez situation. I I just think it's just, and I hate to use this word, unfair that he played so well. He did everything expected of him. He was kind of the pioneering keeper of being the, the catalyst to, to help us play out the back, assured in crosses, great shot stopper, confident, chemistry with the defence won us the trophies as man the match in the big games he played well and he's kind of not got any assurances that he was going to play and and I understand that Leno I, I think I compared it to someone going on sick leave you know you're you're the managing director you're Leno you've got your position and Martinez uh, Joe Bloggs comes in and does an amazing job but you're back from sick leave now and you, and you take back the job you have and I and I understand that um that kind of principle, but this is football and, and it's all based on form and, and a bit of luck as well. And, and I think he earned his place to start the season. But I understand Martinez thinking, well, I'm not going to get to two games in, make two mistakes. Leno gets in the team and I'm stuck in at Arsenal for another six months. I get that. Um, I don't think Aston Villa is the right move, personally. I think he could have done better, bigger. I don't even know if he's undisputed number one if, if um, Heaton comes good. Um, I hope so. I hope he doesn't come to regret it. But at the end of the day, the way he said, you know, he came, he wanted to do, to walk out the front door of Arsenal and have his head head held high, go with the backing of the staff and the players and the fans. That that's a, a mini legacy in a way, and I'm happy for him. And it was exactly the same for Fabianski. Exactly the same happened. Uh, it, it's upsetting, but I think it's the I think it's the right move. For, for for everyone so we go again with Leno I'll be criticizing him, criticizing him every time he makes a mistake because he's on the on my hit list right now um, Matt Macy the the second keeper apparently wants to leave because we're just about to sign an Icelandic keeper who's barely played for the national team conceded 60 goals in 30 games in France so I don't know what that's about I don't think it's very very good for our youth system um, for that to be happening but he's he is young 
Um, I'm sure they've seen something in him. He's worked with one of our goalkeeping coaches before, so so we'll we'll, we'll take it. But hopefully, you know, I, I hope that Leno does well, but I don't see him. Even the other day, I just don't see that dominance and that confidence that we all saw with Martinez. Um, and I'm disappointed. It's the first kind of, in terms of managerial decisions um, on players and transfers, probably my first question mark on Arteta. But I feel like it was taken out of his hands with the, with the players' reaction. And watching that Fulham game, Gabriel looked at the beginning like he could be yet another calamitous Arsenal centre-back, but then recovered to, uh, to score that goal. Are you confident that he might fix your issues in defence this season? I was a little bit worried seeing him start because he hasn't played football for around six months. Um, and I don't know much about him. He didn't look that confident at the beginning, but I think a goal with the defender can mask a lot of performances. It's very nice he scored, but he's not there to score goals. He's there to, to make sure we don't concede. And that's that's what we did. He, he was passing well at the end. He was kind of getting up in the air and heading. Uh, Rob Holding seemed to kind of uh, vibe with him and and Tierney in that kind of unfamiliar position at the, as the left centre-back. So it, it's, again, it's exciting. It's good to know that there's a bit of confidence there um, and that people wanted him as well. And I think he'll probably stay in the team now. Unless he makes a terrible mistake, I can see him kind of keeping that place, kind of maybe swapping a little bit with David Luiz if there's fatigue setting in in his first full season. A um, little bit shocked still that Saliba hasn't come near the first team. And that's slightly concerning based on how much hype there was. And Arteta was really playing him down last season about when he was coming back, when people were talking about defensive woes. And I wonder whether he's seen something in training attitude-wise or, or fitness-wise that he's not quite, he doesn't think he's up for the job. And, you know, Mikel Arteta, as an ex-player, knows whether someone is up for the job in the Premier League. Um, and based on his, his coaching career so far. Um, but yeah, it, it's, 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 uh, it, it sounds like it's a good signing for good value and worth the punt. And we needed a fresh centre-back. But, you know, you've got these Cedrics and these Maris and these uh, sort of Socrates and Mustafi and Chambers. There's, there's a lot still going on there. So I think a lot of outs need to happen before, before any more ins in that department. And kind of throwing it back at you in terms of defensive reinforcements, I suppose, because every time I looked up and I looked at number five on the pitch during the Everton game for Spurs, I thought, I kept looking on my app and I said, number five is Hoiberg, but why is he basically playing centre-back? And then when I think, I think it was him that he just passed, oh no, sorry, I'm thinking of Havertz, the Havertz who, passed, who passed the ball out for a throw in, but the way he was playing was just, a, it looked appalling. He looked a bit like he'd never been in the Premier League before and, and and definitely hadn't met his teammates before. What were your thoughts on on Hoiberg's debut? Yeah, I mean, I think very few players came away with credit from that Everton game. The perform- I mean, to be, to be fair, in the first half, I didn't think we were too bad. Obviously, there was that moment where there was that terrible back pass from Ben Davies, and then Richardson did out of the to speed, and he rounded Lloris and really should have scored. But other than that, I felt we had the best chances in the game. Delhi and Doherty both had moments where they could have st- could have scored, good saves from Pickford. And if either of those had gone in, then I think we probably would have won the game 1-0. I feel like it was one of those matches where whoever scored first would would win. When we played Everton just a couple of months ago at the end of last season, we won 1-0 through an own goal. And I always thought it would be a, a similar type of match. But yeah, Hoiberg did look a little bit all over the place, but I think he probably wasn't helped by the fact that the rest of the team wasn't playing that well either and just as I kind of said it earlier the man of that performance we were so it seemed so drilled into this kind of sit back deep defend and counter-attack style of play that once Everton took the lead we didn't know how to then take the game to them and take control of the game and actually attack and it seemed like we had no energy like we weren't fit like like we weren't even bothered to kind of get back into the game and I don't know how much of that is tactical how much of it was to do with fitness but it, it was the type of result and performance that did make me, for the first time, seriously worry about Mourinho and, and where things were headed. Because last season throughout, I was giving him the benefit of the doubt because of all the circumstances. He came in halfway through the injuries. I mean, we've seen with, with All or Nothing that you mentioned earlier, all the how mad last season was. But 
that performance was just so devoid of ideas going forward. And the fact that it was the first opening day match Mourinho's ever lost. Um, and last season, we we broke the record for consecutive defeats in Mourinho's career, the, the highest number of consecutive defeats he's ever had, did make me think it, it, it does look like we're going to be the first club since Porto where he, he doesn't win a trophy. It kind of had that feel about it. But it is only the first game. We've seen with opening weekends how deceptive they can be. Every season, there's a big result or performance at the opening weekend that then turns out you know, to have been a, a red herring. There were moments in that first half. These signings now, who knows what they could change. We do have a mad schedule and we haven't really had a proper preseason. So it's all these things that make you think, OK, you know, we could ease our way into things. Things will change. That isn't how we'll play for the rest of the season. But I think a lot of Spurs fans were very deflated and worried after that, which is why I think the bail news has been even more celebrated because it seems like it's exactly what we've been going out for. And it was just such a contrast you know, to, to that game a couple of months back with Everton, where Everton looked like the team who had progressed and who's all, all of their new signings. Play, I mean, we played uh, Doherty and Hoiberg. I thought they played OK, but they just fit into how we'd already played and how we played against Everton a few months back, whereas Rodriguez, Alan Decore all came in and Everton looked like a completely different team. They played in a whole new way. You weren't sure what you were going to get. And their midfield completely bullied and dominated ours both physically and creatively, which is why I thought something like Bale could be, you look at the effect Rodriguez had on them in only one match. Okay, maybe he'll flatter to deceive, get injured, whatever. But Bale is a better player than Rodriguez. At least he was more influential at Real Madrid than Rodriguez was. So you have to think that Bale... If given, if, if he gets fit and, and gets in the team, can have a, a similar sort of impact for us. But yeah, it, it was concerning. And I don't have high hopes of Southampton, to be honest. I mean, we're talking on Thursday night. The, the team are in Bulgaria at the moment, having just played Lokomotiv Plovdiv, where we, <laughs> I think we only won because Plovdiv got half their team sent off. Um, and Southampton away is a game we lost last season. Danny Ings is probably going to very much enjoy playing against our defence. And you talk about the centre-backs. I mean, that Everton game and the goal we conceded did make me wonder. Eric Dyer's made a lot of noise about how he wants to be a centre-back. And I think potentially he could be a good one, but I don't think his performances at the moment are that great. And I think Sanchez and Alvaro probably should be our, our first-choice centre-back pairing. I know Jose loves Dyer and, you know, I, I, I like Dyer as well. I think he's you know, hard worker, interesting guy. And I think he could be a good centre-back, but I do worry whether he is really going to make that position his own the way he wants to. Um, and there are rumours that we're in for another centre-back as well as a striker. Um, but yeah, overall, Everton was a bit of a shambles. And, I'm, I, I, and I said last time we spoke on our last podcast, and people can go back and check, you asked me, was I confident about the start of the season? And I said, no, I didn't think our fixtures were anywhere near as easy as people thought they were particularly not when you throw in the Europa League commitments as well. So it wouldn't surprise me if we have a, another couple of disappointing results and performances until we start to feel the bail bounce. The, the bigger thing that worried me, and I suppose this kind of works into all or nothing as well, which you mentioned earlier, and we should probably talk about with that having now concluded, was mm. the Delhi substitution at half time, And the way we played in the second half and just some of the noises that have been coming out I kind of felt when I was watching that second half performance, I thought, I hope there hasn't been some kind of bust up with Delhi at half time. And maybe that's why the team are a bit, you know, not, not really themselves in the second half. And there were rumours that maybe he would have been involved as part of the bail deal. He didn't travel with the team to Bulgaria, although a lot of first team players were left at home, Alderweireld as well. But I, before the season, I was worrying about where Delhi fit into Mourinho's side, the way things were going. And, and now with Bail coming in, you do wonder where Delhi's spot is. Now, you could say this is what Delhi needs. He needs to have to fight for his place again rather than just assume he's a starter. Maybe that will get him to put in the effort that we saw in All or Nothing Mourinho wants from him. But on the other hand, you think, given Mourinho's history with players and you don't want another kind of ongoing story, rumours of unrest in, in the dressing room. So I do hope that there is still a future and a role for Delhi in the team because I'm increasingly worried that there isn't. Um, and some people might say that's no loss. So I know some people think Delhi is a busted flush and he's, he's given all that he's, you know, that he's not going to get any better, but I do still think there is a, a player there. And I think we would regret it if we let him go now. 
I wonder what your thoughts are on the Delhi situation, particularly after having watched All or Nothing and what you thought of those those last batch of episodes, particularly mm. again the, the section about Arsenal and uh, <laughs> us winning the North London derby last season, which was, was nice to be reminded of. Stick, sticking to Delhi to start with, I think I mentioned when I started the programme that I thought he came across very nonchalant. Um, we all know what a great player he is, but even watching towards the end when he's having Harry Bow in the in the in the stadium room for a game, I, I mean the night before, it was just his attitude just seems he he seems younger than he is, or maybe I'm not appreciating that he is a young guy, um, kind of thrust into the spotlight so early on. Um, and it makes me think when watching some of those episodes and particularly the, I think it was Eric Dyer and Deli Ali were having an argument in the changing room and Jose kind of just sits down, puts his arm around Deli and just watches it. And it's almost like he enjoys that friction and seeing the conflict between his team because he thinks it's going to, when it's solved, it's going to make them stronger and kind of create this, this aggressive mentality. And even when he put the, the 11 versus 11 on, and they were, there were a bit of arguments, and there was uh, the injury to Son. It was, it was interesting what he was trying to. He's clearly trying to make them into warriors. And he's he's told he, he's told the, that team, uh, according to the the Amazon Prime documentary, um, time and time again that he wants them to be nasty. You know, he's using expletives. He, he wants them to be aggressive and 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 for teams to fear him. Um, and I'm not quite sure he's got the characters to do that. Eric Dyer looks like the blueprint. Um, for that caliber of player, but but Deli Ali from day one, he seems to have had it out for him in terms of his his attitude, his training, being lazy, calling him out for performances in front of his teammates, and I think he does that to motivate him because he even said that Sir Alex Ferguson told him to, to sign him for Man United and how great a player he is, and I think it's it comes from a a place of care, but I don't think it's worked out. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if things came out after. It's not a coincidence that what happened, him coming off at halftime tactically, and then all this rumours about him going the other way. I, I don't think there's there's smoke without fire on that one. Um, but we'll have to wait and see on, on Delhi. I just I think he's a great player. I think he's got the potential. I don't know if it's under Jose, and it might be that he he goes to Madrid on a year-long loan, who knows if Jose's back by the end of next season, and he could come back and be reinvigorated. He he seems like the type that needs that Pochettino type to put his arm round and, and, and kind of uh, get coddled and, and caress his ego rather than challenge it. That That's what I see, but I don't know him. I'm not a personal friend of Daddy Ali. Um, would be nice, of course. Um, and then in terms of the documentary as a whole, I mean, I think... I wanted to ask you about how you thought um, the whole documentary was, kind of in terms of good, bad, a little bit of everything. I thought Daniel Levy came across very well, but I've never seen a chairman or executive at a club so involved in terms of, you know, I always thought the word was, oh, Levy, Levy, Levy. And I thought of Spurs fans just pushing the blame on someone higher up, but he really is involved day to day, even having breakfast, talking about the team for the day. So, I think that's, I think he came across very well, very much that he cared. Um, I think that it really was the Jose Mourinho show. If he had not joined, I don't know what the show would have been. It would have been the most boring thing ever. Um, The players, I have a lot of more respect for Harry Kane now. He really comes across as a nice boy who's kind of grown up in the team, cares about the team, the the players, the staff, the the history, the club, the the fans, everything about it. And he works hard and he says the right things. He does the right things. Um, but I was thinking about this the other day at his age now. And he even said in his conversation to, to Jose Mourinho, he's ambitious and he wants to be at a certain level. And I wonder if Spurs win a trophy this year, he thinks I've done what I have to do now. I'm ready for that next step. Or if they don't, saying, listen, I've got to go. I've, I've put my all into this every year. I've kind of said, I'll stay, I'll stay, I'll stay. I know I'm... I'm... He's not even captain, that's the thing. I know he sometimes gets the armband when Lloris is out. Um, but I wonder whether whether this might be his last season, rain or shine, so to speak, and maybe the, the bail scenario might even push his stock um, a little further down. Um, in terms of the end of that documentary, I mean, I don't know why they suddenly positioned the Arsenal game as 
like winning a trophy. I think I think if Arsenal had done that to documentary, Spurs fans would be laughing at us. Um, the end of season barbecue, very nice, of course, but the Jose celebrations were just. Uh, it, it's exactly what he would again blame Arsenal for doing, saying, "Well, what are you doing if we're a winner?" And it shows again how I think Jose's stock has fallen in terms of winning mentality. And maybe he put a little bit too much pressure and expectation on the Spurs job, almost going in, not explicitly saying it, but everyone going in thinking what he's going to do, what he does elsewhere. But this is a different challenge. This is where everyone's, everyone said, you know, he has all the money in the world. He has money here, but he doesn't have that blank check to get who he wants and, and that Champions League football to attract everyone he wants. Um, so this is a tough challenge and it is a, a new older Jose. Um, and right now, it doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't seem to be working. But you, you don't sack a manager based on one performance. You, you see how he does. His, his, his kind of thinking and the way he runs the club, looking at the documentary, it looks good. I mean, I don't see anything wrong with it. If it got the results, everyone would be lauding him as a genius. But it's, and it probably did. That approach probably did get him all those trophies once upon a time. But it's just not working now. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's definitely good to get the the name Spurs out there again in terms of global exposure and and show kind of some of the players who I like a bit more now. Um, I don't feel quite as much hatred for the club as I did after watching that. Um, funnily enough, but I did feel like there was this sort of soft touch that it was very happy, not very competitive. Um, at the ground and kind of everyone just happy to be at a Premier League club relatively competing with no expectations. And I'm I'm not sure that sort of culture can last a long time without there being explosions along the way. And I think that's what happened last year with Jose. Um, it could go either way. And yeah, so I want to throw it to you on, on the documentary as well, based on, do you think, do you think it was good for Spurs? Do you think there are some things that you cringe at and think, I wish that sort of thing hadn't been shown on camera? Um, and do you think that, you know, based on that, what you've seen internally, the future's bright or it might need to change internally before things can truly um, get to where you want them to be? Well, it's fascinating to hear you as an Arsenal fan say how much you enjoyed it and that it made you like the players more. I mean, that for me suggests that regardless of what Spurs fans think of it, that, that it's been successful in its aims. Because if you as someone who has an inbuilt hatred of Spurs... <laughs> can come away with a begrudging appreciation or even kind of admiration for, for some aspects of the club or the people who are there, then I can imagine neutrals or, or people who've not heard of the club before or people around the world who are looking for a team support could be even more kind of enticed to become Spurs fans. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what this is. This is all just about brand building and, and, and PR. So I think you have to keep that in mind when discussing anything in this documentary. And I think there's a part of you that as a fan loves to see this stuff, loves to see behind the scenes, is excited that there's a show of this of this calibre and quality and scale about the club you support. But then on the other hand, it's also very protective and worried and not wanting to be embarrassed and wanting to keep certain things behind closed doors. And as you said, I think it is hard to imagine what it would have been like had Pochettino been there for the whole season, because I don't think he would have given them the same level of access. And I don't think it would have been anywhere near as good. But there's, you know something making good entertainment doesn't necessarily mean it's what's good for the club. And I think there are some things in there that are quite revealing about Mourinho, as you say, and, and his methodology, which was successful before, but is it successful now? And I think only, only time will tell. What you said about Kane as well, I think was interesting because that was the thing that stood out to me massively in, in the first few episodes when he said, he was talking about injury, but he was saying about how quick a football career is and before you know it you're a certain age and you realize you don't have that long left and I thought hmm, okay he's talking about an injury but it sounds exactly like what someone would say for a transfer as well and then when Ericsson left and he said oh you can't blame him for wanting to try something new and watching it I thought if we don't win something this is Kane's last season at the club and it's interesting to bring it back to Bale where we started how much that changes things because you've got to think Kane and, and the other players are going to ask him about what it was like at Real Madrid. And given what's happened to Bale at Real Madrid and how it's ended there, is he going to say to Kane, oh, yeah, you've got to go, you know, you'll win Champions Leagues? Or is he going to say, look, the grass isn't green on the other side. It's not worth it. You'll go there, but 
you won't be a legend if you stay here and win stuff here. It'll be worth so much more than anything you do at Real Madrid. It'll be interesting to see mm. what Bale says to them. And I, and I wonder as well what impact having a player like Bale around could have for someone like Ryan Sessegnon, for example, who is kind of similar to Bale, you know, left-sided player starting off as a, as a left-back, quite attacking. You know, is Bale going to be kind of like a mentor to him and say, look, you know, I started out here and, and look, why, look why I ended up, you know, which is kind of how I feel like, you know, even if Bale doesn't pull up the same goal-scoring figures, he could still be hugely influential if he maybe it provides an inspiration to some of our younger players and convinces some of our superstars that actually they don't need to to go abroad to be happy. So it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But yeah, with the documentary, I mean, obviously it's what the club want you to see, although there's some stuff in there, which I think was quite revealing that perhaps, you know, they ideally wouldn't have wanted in there. Stuff like the Rosa Mourinho confrontation or Rundambele having that meeting with Levy about not being happy and, and, and some of the, the fights between the players. And I do think it is interesting to get that insight into the players. And, and it's just interesting to see, you know, what happened in the dressing room after that um, Son and Larice argument, for example, to, to see those things. So I think overall that it's, it's done what it set out to do. And I think that coupled with the bail transfer, coupled with the, with uh, the women's team signing Alex Morgan, who's absolutely huge in the U S it all feels part of, and the stadium, Mourinho, it all feels part of elevating Spurs to the next level as a brand internationally. But at the end of the day, how far a club goes does still rely on what happens on the pitch. And you can have a superstar manager, you can have superstar players, you can build a big stadium, you can do the Amazon deals. But if you don't win things, it it, it all falls apart. There's, there's nothing to it. So I think this season really will be all or nothing for Tottenham and it'll be fascinating to see how that goes and it, I feel like um, I feel like almost when when Spurs first started finishing ahead of Arsenal a few seasons back it felt like Arsenal still had that residual brand recognition and were probably still considered the quote-unquote bigger club in North London even though Spurs were starting to surpass them on the pitch and I wonder now whether it's kind of swinging in the opposite direction in the sense that Spurs are almost becoming the biggest bigger story the bigger name but maybe Arsenal are gonna start to pass us on the, the pitch again I don't know it'd be fascinating to see how this season turns out and whose model proves to to come out on top because even though you're making certain signings that I don't think a Pochettino would have done like I feel like a Pochettino figure wouldn't have brought in a William or wouldn't have given a Bumiang that new contract but it feels like Arteta Arteta is definitely more of a Pochettino type figure than Mourinho is and it almost feels like we're kind of switching places in a way um, but it'll be interesting to see where we end the season and, and who ends up happiest I mean after one game obviously you beat Fulham we lost to Everton but you, you can't really tell much from that but over the coming coming weeks and months, we'll get more of an idea and it'll be interesting to see where we end up. And I suppose the, the big question is for you, would you want to see, having seen that Tottenham programme, would you want an all or nothing on Arsenal? I think no. I think the club is in such a transition right now that at, at a collective in terms of a board level as well and all the redundancies that it would just, it just wouldn't go in our favour. I don't know if our players have that that lovable personality, the kind of homely feeling. Um, and that's not just saying about British players, which Spurs have a lot of, and, and we have a very international flair. It's not, it's not about that. It's more about, you know, the longevity. Our players and our squad have been chopped and changed so much that our team is unrecognisable. So I don't know if you have that true affinity with the club, um, a lot of these players. Um, and I kind of like the mystery. You know, I was actually, I actually drove past, a place called London Colney today, which is where the Arsenal training ground is based. And I didn't see it, obviously. And it was it's something that my dad asked me. He said, have you ever uh, been there? Do you know anyone who's been there? I said, no, it's it's kind of shrouded with secrecy. I think you can win an opportunity to see the training ground. And that's it's kind of something I like to have that charm because we love football because of because it feels so unattainable in a way, this wealth and the celebrity and, and that talent and, and, and kind of the exclusivity of it. Um, and I like the teaser that Spurs did. Um, but for some reason, for me, the appetite isn't there. The appetite for me is to see Arsenal playing like we did against Fulham, against every club we play against, 
and lifting a trophy at the end of the season. And if we can uh, if we can do that in the next few years or at least build towards it and play the football we play, and even if we're unlucky, we can put our heads up high, then that's all I want on my weekends and my midweeks um, as a football fan. I think, I think it is important as a football fan to kind of know your expectations and what you what you want from from supporting your club and and that really will will determine your your morale and how you how you view all of these external events that we've been talking about no well well said and i think um maybe when it's safe to do do so we should uh, record an episode from the top of the stadium on that skywalk <laughs> like uh, like Mourinho and Levy oh, did. Look, it looks fun it does it does look fun it does look fun i actually I think I mentioned to you offline that I, I had a little look around the stadium outside one evening just uh, because, you know, nothing else to do nowadays with lockdown. And it was it was a sight to behold, to be honest. It it, it looks brand spanking new like it is. And uh, yeah, especially very proud of, of that piece of architecture and, and, you know, that tourist sort of attraction. Um, I'd like to watch a game from there for sure. You can commentate. That would be a that would be a dream. Arsenal versus Spurs live commentating on the on the skywalk well hopefully hopefully that will happen and happen soon we'll have this situation behind us fans will be back in and we can uh, try and wangle a, a cannon and cockerel uh, seat on on the skywalk for the North London derby I, I can't imagine them letting us do that but we can uh, we'll see if Jamie O'Hara can put in a good word for us I was gonna say you call Jamie and I'll call um oh I don't know Javinho I guess <laughs> He's our cult hero. I don't know. Plenty. Javinho is coming home. Arsenal bring back Javinho. <laughs> Amori Bishop is coming home. <laughs> it's time. Return of the Bish. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the episode title. Return of the Bish. <laughs> I might reach out to him. He might have some time to get in touch. I don't I think he's still playing. He has a Wikipedia page now. Well, that's he's made it. Oh, wow. Oh, good times. <laughs>